0: I'll actually be reading from the book of Isaiah. Um, The text is Isaiah chapter 58. If you could please open up your Bibles to Isaiah 58. Just to summarize some of the points from this morning for you, remember that this day of rest was established in Eden before the fall. It's so important for us to remember. This is before the fall rest. God established a holy day a holy day, and set it apart. The pattern is six days of joyful labor and communion with God. That's what Adam and Eve did. They were always in communion with God. But on the seventh day, they stopped the labor and they focused exclusively on communion with God and worship. And what else could they do? What else would they do? They were living in a state of innocence without any sin. What else could possibly satisfy or provide rest for them in any way? except the holy god who they li- they lived in communion with how much more do we in this fallen state need one day set aside one sabbath day of rest one sabbath of worship of the holy god some of you may remember this i'm i'm still um not too old that I don't remember this either, um, but when I was young, I remember everyone, everyone got dressed up for church. Does anyone else remember that? I mean, you got dressed up to go on an on an airline flight, so how much more did you get dressed up to go worship the holy God well we've We've become a very casual society, and the church has somehow bought into this notion that being very casual and Coming to God in this casual, friendly way uh, is, is really good for the church. It shows that God is very accessible and He's welcoming. and We don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable, especially those people who don't, don't have good clothes. Or so the argument goes. But you see, this, this casual dress isn't the cause of anything. It's It's just a symptom. It's what we were talking about this morning. It's a symptom of our regard for God and His holy day. Certainly, God desires worship from the heart. Certainly, it's not about how we dress. Yes, that's true. But to dress in a sloppy or careless or casual manner certainly reflects something of your heart, doesn't it? It has to. On your wedding day, how did you dress? Probably dressed up. If you attend a wedding, how do you dress? You probably dress up. Why? Because it's a special day. You want to honor the occasion. You want to honor the solemnity of the marriage vows. You're summoned to court, to a civil court. How do you dress? You probably dress up, right? You don't wear your normal clothes. Why? Because you honor, want to honor the authority of the court and the judge. You see what I'm, I'm saying? It, it, certainly on one sense, it doesn't matter. But on one sense, it does matter because it reflects an attitude of your heart. So if you say it doesn't matter, oh, where do you draw the line? Would you wear a swimsuit to church? Would you come in without shoes and a shirt? No. So there's a line somewhere, right? Well, what draws that line? This is the key. It's the attitude of your heart. So despite what we know about the attitude of our heart driving our our life, it drives our actions, many churches the Lord's Day is just filled with self-worship, irreverence, just a casual, blasé attitude that is so blasphemous to God. If the glory of God is the focus of the day, then it should be exemplified in everything we do all day long. We're in the presence of the Holy God when we come to corporate worship. And if the whole day is devoted to God's worship, then the the whole attitude of your heart will reflect that reality. God hallowed this day. This isn't me telling you this. God hallowed the day. Why did He do that? for you to pursue your own pleasure, your own version of rest? Or for you to pursue Him? And that's really the whole focal point of tonight's sermon. The Lord's Day is set apart for you to fix your gaze on Christ all day long. If you can remember that, you've got the sermon. That's it. We're going to talk about more details, but this is a day focused on God, not on us. Period. The whole first table of the law is an expression of what it should look like for us to love and serve God. Well, what does that have to do with the fourth commandment? Well, we see a prohibition there. Thou shalt not do any labor or any work. But that's not the moral requirement. You remember for every commandment, we we look at the moral requirement. That's what Christ did in the Sermon on the Mount. He peeled apart every commandment, or at least the ones He addressed, and He said, this is the moral requirement. And here's how you obey that. And then in our confession and our catechisms, that's what those theologians did with every one of the commandments as well. Well, what's the moral requirement in the fourth commandment? Is it not to work? No, that's not it. It's to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. John Owen wrote a book they called A Day of Sacred Rest. Notice the order of those words. It's fascinating. A day of sacred rest. It's not a sacred day of rest although it is that. It's a day of sacred rest. The day is hallowed by a sacred or holy rest. The character of the rest is also holy. Well, we're going to continue to read the commandments, the fourth commandment, but the text is Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. This is really the, the... One of the pivotal texts that explains really what it looks like to honor the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. And remember Isaiah 53, that's a messianic prophecy, right? From Isaiah 53, even before that, to the end of Isaiah, these are, uh, many of these uh, prophecies are clearly messianic. So with that context, please uh, stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Please be seated. May God add His blessing to the reading of His holy word. Let's pray. Father, we do come to You and we seek to call the Sabbath a delight. Lord, our hearts desire not to speak our own words, not to pursue our own pleasure, not to go our own way, but to call the Sabbath a delight. Lord, please impress upon our hearts what a a glorious reflection of our love for you this is and what an honor it is for us to have a day of rest, a day of worship, a day devoted to you in Jesus' name calling the Sabbath a delight. I'm going to talk about some objections to this view of the text. Some things that even I at one time in my life would say. We're going to talk about the specifics of the commandments and how this does become a delight for us. I think it's important to remember the fundamental problem as David Wells Highlighted for us um, in his book, God in the Wasteland. I read it this morning. The fundamental problem in the evangelical world today is that God rests too inconsequentially upon His church. That really is the problem in every age. God rests too inconsequentially upon us. He's just too common. He's, he's, He's just like us. There's really nothing that's required in the fourth commandment that we can't easily accomplish. I'm joined by many others in every age of the church who argue that the weakness of the church today is due in large measure to our rejection of the Sabbath observance. This is not a day for our own pleasure. This is not a day for us to just relax and enjoy worldliness and worldly things. This is God's day. Jesus. It's His day. The purpose of this day is to focus on Jesus. Wait a minute, what about the Super Bowl? Yeah, That has nothing to do with Jesus, does it? There's many other things that we focus on on the Lord's Day that have nothing to do with Jesus. The Westminster Directory of Public Worship It's a nice summary of what the Lord's Day should look like for the church. The whole day is to be celebrated as holy to the Lord, both in public and in private, as being the Christian Sabbath. To which end it is requisite that there be a holy cessation or resting all that day from all unnecessary labors and an abstaining not only from all sports and pastimes, but also from all worldly words and thoughts. What time is vacant between or after solemn meetings of the congregation in public? It should be spent in reading and meditation and repetition of sermons, especially by calling their families to an account of what they have heard and catechizing them, holy conferences, prayer for a blessing upon the public ordinances, singing of psalms, visiting the sick, relieving the poor, and such like duties of piety, charity, and mercy, accounting the Sabbath a delight." Doesn't that just grate against the flesh of your soul? Don't you just go, ah, why? Not all of you, I'm sure, but some. But even more serious than forgetting the biblical reasons for the Lord's Day, that caused these wonderful men, these theologians of theologians, to to be able to summarize the biblical doctrine of worship on the Lord's Day. We've forgotten why they said what they said. I think more serious than that is just the the hostility that you may feel when, uh, when you observe the Lord's Day and someone notices. The hostility that you may feel when you insist that you will not participate in worldliness on the day devoted to God's worship. Actually, shouldn't the default position for the Christian be more worship, more devotion to God on the Lord's Day? Shouldn't that be the default? And shouldn't the opposition be saying, wait, no, we want more. But things have gone so awry that those who would devote all of the day as our fathers have for generations to the worship of God are now the minority. God, help us. Let me talk about some of the objections that people often have before we address the text. Some of these you've heard before. Isn't this just legalistic? what, What is going on here? Like, we know what we do. We go to church. Everything after that is just legalism. You guys are so legalistic. Sabbatarians, like it's a bad word. Legalism is adding unscriptural requirements to the law of God. So what or aren't you just going really too far? Like what other commandments is that ever said of? You're just so legalistic about not murdering. Like, just stop it. Why are you putting this on me? You're going way too far with not committing adultery. You need to stop. Or your 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 view of stealing is just taking it way too far. So legalistic. No, no one would ever talk about that. Or talk like that. Or even the the first table of the law. You take this thing against idolatry way too far. That would be ridiculous. But when it comes to the fourth commandment, that's the first thing that you hear, isn't it? Well, you're just being so legalistic. Trying to devote the whole day to God. Tell me what to do. There's no other commandment that's viewed that way. Why is that? Well, as I explained this morning, all of the three first commandments culminate on the Lord's Day worship and Satan knows it. And if he can destroy the Lord's Day in the church, he can destroy the work of the church. No wonder the church is so weak and impotent. We've ignored completely one-seventh of our lives. Well, isn't every day a day of rest? It's another argument you'll hear. Yes, there is a sense that every day is a day of rest. But that doesn't set aside the Ten Commandments. It doesn't set aside the fourth commandment. That one day and seven is set apart for the public worship of God. We'll talk more about that in a moment. What about Paul's supposed repudiation of the Sabbaths in Galatians? These are the texts usually used. Galatians 4, 9 and 10. Romans 14, 5 and 6. Colossians 2, 16. Let me just read Colossians 2.16 as an example. of They all relate to kind of the same thing. There were Jews in the churches pushing uh, Jewish ceremonial worship onto the Gentiles, and Paul had to deal with it. For various reasons. In Galatia, it was as a means of salvation. They thought you had to do the Jewish things to be saved. He corrects that slightly differently than he corrects the Colossians and the Romans. Let's look at Colossians though. Therefore, let no one, Colossians 2.16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Actually, the word Sabbath there is plural in the Greek, which makes much more sense. Regarding to a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, these are shadow of the things to come, but the substance belong to Christ. So that phrase, a festival, a new moon, or Sabbaths is is a reflection of an Old Testament phrase that just means all of the ceremonial law. And the high days, the day of Pentecost, these were also called Sabbaths. It's much that festival or new moon or Sabbaths is much like uh, how in the Old Testament you'll read heart, soul, mind, and strength to, to encompass all of all of the what it means to be human. Or how uh, in the New Testament, Jesus said Moses and the Psalms and the prophets to encompass all of the Old Testament. It's one of those kinds of phrases. Meaning, all of the Jewish ceremonial laws. This shouldn't be combined with Christian practice. So if Paul is saying, stop honoring the Lord on the Lord's Day, stop serving the Lord on the Lord's Day, If that's really what he's saying here, then it really conflicts with the rest of his writings where he talks about them gathering together on the Lord's Day uh, and worshiping on the Lord's Day. Considering that we know so much about the early church's practice. That's nonsense. Or in Romans, is he really referring to the Christians who honor the Lord's Day as the weaker Christians? The weaker brothers? Those, those Christians who actually want to dedicate the whole day to worship. Those weaker brothers. Is that what he's saying? No, of course not. These questions are addressed much more in much more detail in the books that we have on the back table and many others. Well, didn't Jesus abolish the Sabbath though? That's another question you'll get. No, saying that man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. It was a correction to Pharisaical legalism. It's not an abolishment of the fourth commandment's moral principle. Christ did not do that and would never do that. He didn't break the Sabbath because He's Lord of the Sabbath. He kept the Sabbath as Lord of the Sabbath. And not one jot or tittle will be changed until the end of time, till all is accomplished. He didn't abolish our Sabbath worship. But isn't all life worship? Isn't all life rest? Well, yes, of course, this is true. That's actually one thing that encourages me about um, the position that we take and our confession takes about Sabbath worship is none of us can do it. Like we can't honor the Lord with every thought, word, and deed. Any day. Even on the Sabbath day. But we want to. We know it's right. The Holy Spirit communes with our soul and says, yes, you should do this. You should honor the Lord. It's an argument for the correctness of the position that we take. That this day is devoted to the worship of God. And those who would argue to to soften this view of the Lord's Day, they really make it as easy as possible. Think of all the other commandments. Can you keep any of them? No. But the Lord's Day? Well, if it really just means go to church and then rest, don't go to work, well, that's the easiest commandment of all. Certainly this makes no sense. How could this be so easy for us? No, it seems that this commandment, like all of the commandments, is a moral command. It doesn't change. There's a moral requirement. And the only way we can even see it clearly is by a work of the Holy Spirit. Many would cite Romans 12:1 and 2. That we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That this is our spiritual act of worship. That our whole lives are worship. So they're arguing really, and we're not saying worldliness in the sense of sin, but worldly employments, worldly recreations and pleasures. Things that would not be sinful on other days. But that the Lord Day is no different it just that verse just smudges everything together. So whatever we do on the Lord's day is if we do it as unto the Lord, well, we can go ahead and do whatever we desire, which is of course the opinion of most people it seems in our country. So isn't it special that Romans 12:1 and 2, which actually calls us to holiness, is used in this way to flip holiness into worldliness? This all life is worship mentality regarding the Sabbath day is a serious error. There's nothing you can do in private worship or family worship if you don't actually dedicate the whole day to the worship of God. That can make up for it. If you do not strive to honor the Lord on the Lord's Day, spiritually you will wither Ultimately, you have blasphemed the Holy God who hallowed the day Himself for His own worship. So we should correct our thoughts and begin striving to honor the Lord. Pray that the Holy Spirit enables us to honor the Lord on His day. When it comes to disagreements on Sabbath observance, this should not disrupt fellowship. There are good godly men and women who disagree with this position. But that's not the same thing as saying that this is a periphery issue. There's so frequent mentions of the Sabbath and the Sabbath rest in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have to take it seriously. This is not just about physical rest. If the primary purpose of the Sabbath observance is the glory of God and His worship, which I believe it is, then everything about Isaiah 58 and our confession falls into place very clearly. If it's just about you resting, you not going to work, then certainly none of this is going to make much sense. But to honor God, again, our whole gaze being, being directed to God all day. This has to be. Not just this commandment, but every commandment is seen in this light through this lens to the honor and glory of God and considering the beauty and the goodness of this day, when we come together in corporate worship and God actually comes down to us, and our our prayers and our worship is lifted up to heaven, can you see how blaspheming this holy day shows an ingratitude that is, in a sense, disgusting? I preach to myself, we should see the spiritual principle here and pursue God and God alone. Well, one of the uh, Isaiah 58 is used as a primary text for much of our confession when it talks about what are the duties required of this day. Let me just read the larger catechism to you. How is the Sabbath or the Lord's day to be sanctified? It's to be sanctified by a holy resting all the day. Not only from such works as are at times sinful, but even from such worldly employments and recreations as are on other days lawful. So we rest. We rest from the world. We rest from work. We rest from sin. We should never strive to sin. What else? We make it our delight to spend the whole time, except so much as taken up in the works of necessity and mercy in the public and private exercises of God's worship. And to that end, we are to prepare our hearts with foresight and diligence and moderation to dispose and seasonably dispatch our worldly business that we might be more free and fit for the duties of the day. So let's talk about some of the specifics. What is a day? What's a day? It's 24 hours. That's the Lord's day. 24 hours, one full day. You think you can kind of slop through this? This is what I used to think. Well, I went to church and, you know, it's getting late. It got dark. I think the Lord's day's over. Really? Is that how God does time? Do you know that at the end of 430 years, to the very day all of the Lord's divisions left Egypt? To the very day. God had planned out the exact number of days. Do you know that Israel was exiled? For 70 years. Why 70 years? To fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah that the land might enjoy its Sabbath rests. The land had missed 70 exact years of Sabbath rests. Every seven years they would have a rest. And they were gone 70 years exactly. Time is exact with God. He doesn't fudge things like we do. Your day is 24 hours. I personally don't care when you start it, but when you think of preparing for the Lord's Day, it's 24 hours. So at the end of seven years, one year of your life will be spent in worship of God. Amen. What a glorious inheritance. By the time you're 70, how many years is that? Ten years? Devoted to God. Amen. It's one day. But also look at this. This worship is rest. It's like when our, our philosophy of church is that we focus our gaze on God. We, we don't spoon feed kind of really um, fluffy things that just make you feel good. We focus you on God. We, we lift up Christ and display Christ before your eyes. And seeing Christ, your needs are met. What's well, the same way with Our Lord's Day worship. When we focus on the worship of the Holy God, He's glorified and we are also comforted. And we are resting. But the ultimate purpose isn't rest from labor. That's not the moral principle as we taught. The moral principle is honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's also a rest from sin. I'm just going through the catechism pieces. It's a rest from sin. The Puritans would call the sins on the Lord's Day double sins especially willful sins, because not only are you sinning, but you're sinning on the holy day that's set aside for worship. It's it's like the, the abhorrence you you see to someone walking into a place of worship and doing something to desecrate it. Something wicked. So we rest from sin on the Lord's day. We also rest from our normal worldly pleasures and enjoyments. Isaiah 58, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, the word pleasure, by the way, means pleasure in Hebrew, delight. Rather than pursuing your own delight and your own pleasure on my holy day, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, Not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. So there's three things he mentions. Not going your own ways, meaning the ways of the world. Not worldly sin, but just worldly things. Seeking your own pleasure, your own personal fleshly desires. Or talking idly. Speaking about things that don't honor God. If you do that... If you forsake those things, then what? Then there's a promise. You shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of heaven. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God is saying, this is what awaits you, if you would honor my day. So how do we dishonor it? larger catechism 119 the sins forbidden in the fourth commandment are all omissions of the duties required so just not doing it not attending the worship going ahead and and working your your worldly work etc also all careless negligent and unprofitable profitable performing of those duties well, that that highlights i think the majority of my life, careless, negligent, and unprofitable performing of the duties. I went to church. Careless. Negligent. Or being weary of them. Well, that was me as well. Just weary of the day. Really? Another day at church? Okay. Hope he doesn't talk too long. Hope we sing the good song. Hope that band member plays the guitar. I hope that guy shows up. What blasphemous thoughts. All profaning the day by idleness. Doing that which is in itself sinful. And by all needless works and words and thoughts about our worldly employments and recreations. Careless observance is bad observance. It's offensive. Weariness. The thought that you go to church so that you can get out of it and go back home quickly to start doing your stuff. That's being weary of the Lord's day. That's Revelation 2, verse 4. You're growing cold. This attitude leads to a hardness of heart. Before long, you don't even come to church. This idleness. Idleness is not the same as rest. The Bible is constant in its condemnation of laziness and idleness. Sleeping around. Sleeping all day on Sunday because you worked so hard the previous week isn't honoring to God. The Sabbath slugger will not receive God's approval. Doing anything sinful is especially egregious. Unnecessary works and words and thoughts. We don't seek to do our pleasure. We seek to do the Lord's pleasure. This is really the focus, isn't it? It's Jesus. It's honoring God on His day with all that He is. With all that we have. I remember when uh, I was in the Air Force I had newly pinned on Colonel. They asked me to come to my alma mater and talk to the young ROTC kids. And I've been in 23 years, incredibly hard work, um, much stress, sleepless nights, the whole thing. And there I'm talking to these kids, and this 18 year old walks up to me and he's like, Oh, so are you a pilot? I said, Yes, pilot said, what are you hoping to do? And he said, well, I'm going to be a general. Well, I might be a general. I don't know if I want to. I'm going to be a, a, a fighter pilot and a general. And I said, okay. He was overweight. He didn't look too bright. I asked him about his grades. He was like, well, I'm struggling a little bit right now, but I'll, I'll bounce back. He wanted all of the benefits without any of the work. He wanted all the blessings of the hard work without actually putting anything into it. And this is how I feel many of us treat the Lord's Day. It just bless me. Yeah, so I, if I don't get a blessing, I'll just go home and take care of my own comfort. I'll turn the TV on. I'll watch something funny. If you've been using the Lord's Day for your own pleasure, it's time to change. This is a day for God's worship. You want real refreshment for your souls? Come to Jesus. And that's not our our reason for honoring the Lord's Day that we desire comfort or refreshment. But that is one of the results of seeking hard after God. All the things that we think provide us real rest, it's pig slop compared to actually honoring God on the Lord's Day. Some of you may have never devoted an entire 24-hour Lord's Day to the Almighty God in your whole life. Today is the day. Repent and turn to Him. And trust that He's sufficient to determine what best honors Him and gives you glory. Look at His Word. So how do you change? You call this day a delight. This is what Isaiah 58 teaches us. To call the Sabbath a delight. The Holy of the Lord honorable. To take delight in the Lord. How do you do this? You might wonder. Well, what our church fathers for centuries have done that has now been discarded, since we are much smarter than them today. You prepare your hearts in the day prior. You prepare your heart to commune with God with His people. You rise early on the Lord's Day and you begin to pray and meditate on God's blessings so that you're not rushing off to church half cocked You spend the morning in private prayer and study. You come to corporate worship as often as it's given. You consume the Word of God and the teaching and preaching of the Word. You consume the Gospel in the sacraments. You meet with Jesus. This is His day. Jesus is central to all your thoughts and your plans. And when He's not central to your words, thoughts, or plans, you correct yourself back to that standard. You commune with your family in your home. But most important, you come to congregational worship. This is why we have two services, and I like Dr. Godfrey. You should be offended that we don't have three or four. For in corporate worship, you find all the means of grace. You can't find them apart from the church, not as God intends. This is the day when observed in faith and love that is anything but gloomy or sad or depressing. It's the most joyful, delightful day of the week. Before we take the Lord's Supper, let me encourage you to make the Sabbath, this spiritual obedience in the Sabbath, Your day of rest. Your day of worship. Focusing on Christ all day long. You say, well, I've I've gone the other way too long. Well, it's not too late. Even now, turn around. Begin honoring the Lord on this day. And watch what happens. There will be temptations. You will feel like you're in a battle. You'll have temptations all day long well, it's not going to hurt if I just check Instagram really quick. So-and-so might need my help, blah, 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 blah. You'll have all kinds of temptations. But the Holy Spirit will enable you to pursue Him in obedience and take every one of those temptations and turn it into a time of prayer and thank God for His goodness and His love for you. The focus is on God. You know, restraint is such a bad word in America especially. we, We run from restraint. What do you mean I've got to restrain my... Desires on the Lord's Day? That sounds really tough. And Is restraint in any of the commandments objectionable? They're all about restraint. Don't have idols. Don't murder. You're restraining yourself, right? The same applies with the Lord's Day. He's called us to restrain ourselves. Every command involves a duty and a restraint. And the Lord's Day is no difference. Don't view this restraint with abhorrence. Call it a delight to worship the Holy God. He's calling us to a paradigm shift from what once dominated our culture, I believe, is going to change. As God brings revival to His church, it's going to start with people like us devoting a day to God. Because out of this day of worship and rest flows all of our other spiritual disciplines in life. Let's set this day aside for every day in the future. You might think, well, I don't know how I can ever do that. It just seems so hard. Have you ever wondered why you can't move forward in your Christian life? could be you're breaking this commandment, knowingly breaking it now, now that you know. wonder why you're reading the Bible or prayer is so impossible. Maybe it's because you're breaking this commandment. God's not going to bless that kind of worship, that careless and lazy and sloppy worship. Why is your spirit so easily troubled? Maybe it's because you break the fourth commandment. Well, how do you fix this? Well, I'm here to tell you you can't you can't do it. what needs to happen ezekiel thirty six we're told i'll sprinkle I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Only God can cause us to do this. Only God can help us to honor him on the Lord's day. And now hopefully you have a desire to do so. May God help us. It's only because of Christ that we can do this in the first place. It's only because of Christ that anything makes any sense in the Christian life. Christ instituted